Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. It says in verse 20 that she called herself a prophetess. Notice she called herself a prophetess. Not everyone who says they speak for God speaks for God. And this is why doctrine is so important that we understand what the Bible says. See, this is why it's important that we read the Bible. Because somebody can say that they speak for God, but if it, if it, if it goes in opposition to what the Word of God says, we can dismiss whatever they have to say. Hi, folks, and thank you for joining us today on Truth in Christ Radio. Today, Pastor Rob Kellogg continues our study in the book of Revelation and the letter Jesus wrote to the church in Thyatira. The center of the corruption at the church of Thyatira was a woman Jesus called Jezebel. This may not have been her literal name, but a title that clearly represented a self-styled prophetess within the church after the pattern of Jezebel in the Old Testament. This Jezebel at the church of Thyatira wasn't really a prophetess. She only claimed to be one. Yet it seemed the Christians there received her as a prophetess, and that is why Jesus gave them this warning. Now let's join Pastor Rob. For young people, and I would encourage you moms and dads, grandpas and grandparents, grandmothers, be an excellent role model for your kids in everything. Be an excellent role model for them in everything. I love what Paul said to the Romans in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. What does he say? He says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And how do you do that? You read the Word of God. That's why I see all my life I've been brainwashed by everything I see on television. They tell me that homosexuality is okay, they tell me that fornication is okay, they tell me that. Uh, All these things are okay that are going on, that it's okay. It's okay. If it feels good, do it. No. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So important for us to be role models for our kids and our grandkids. Going on to verse 19, he says, I know your works, I know your love, I know your service, I know your faith and your patience, and as for your works, that the last are more than the first. We saw this, Jesus used the same word, Greek word, in works here. It literally means toil. And love that he's talking about is agape love. And this is the first church that he mentions this. He commends them for their love. I know your works, I know your love, I know your service and your faith and your patience And as for your works, the last are more than the first. This church had a great love and was demonstrating that, but their doctrine in other areas of the church was not sound at all. It was not sound. They were struggling 
portions of the church were giving into those demonic, wicked things uh, in the church. And we'll see who was the who was behind this. But notice, he says, "I know your work. I know your toil." And their toil and their fervor for the Lord was increasing as they went on rather than decreasing. In Psalm 92, there's a really wonderful verse. And for those of you who are over 65, I would encourage you to write this one down because it's an encouragement to you specifically, but really to all of us. Psalm 92, verse 14, it says, They shall still bear fruit in old age, and they shall be fresh and flourishing. The idea is that no matter how old we get, we can still be fresh and flourishing in Christ. Fresh and flourishing. That speaks of continuing onward, getting better, getting uh, more vocal. But notice in verse 20, the, the key changes now to a minor key. Actually, I don't think it was really that happy before. But now, we get right to the crux of the matter. Nevertheless, verse 20, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. The idea here in this word allow is they permitted it. They allowed it to happen. They knew it was happening. They didn't do anything about it. They're permitting it, and, and they're basically giving up um, and, and not allowing uh not doing what they should be doing. They're just kind of giving up and letting her. They're permitting her, this woman, Jezebel. Now, who is this woman, Jezebel? In some manuscripts, it says uh, that woman uh, is spoken of as your wife. Now, it could be that the pastor's wife was named Jezebel. It's possible. Um, It could be just a woman in the church. We don't really know categorically, and it doesn't really matter, honestly. But we look at this woman, and Jesus calls her Jezebel. Whether that was her real name, we really don't know. But it certainly speaks of her character. It speaks of her character. And you know how many pastors, wives in the church in totality, worldwide, instead of being beacons of godliness and modesty, have rather been flirtatious and even adulterous and even seducting and seducing other people. You know, and it's, it's on the headlines of papers, we have heard and seen these things ourselves, how uh, a, pastor, a pastor or a pastor's wife is uh, having uh, affairs with the worship leader or other peoples in their congregation. And this was the kind of character that Jezebel had. She was a woman of power. And again, you got to hear me, there's nothing, nothing against women here, but Jesus is using, this was a real situation happening in this church, and it's been replicated over and over and over and over again, not only in the church, but also even in social life, in secular life, if you will, in corporations all around the country where there's a man and there's also a woman. And the man is the boss, but there's a woman behind the boss, and she's kind of pulling the shots and calling the shots. And the man is just a weak a weak man, and instead of being a leader, he's just a really more nothing more than a puppet. And this is exactly the characteristic of who Jezebel is. And who was Jezebel? We know that uh, hundreds of years, a couple thousand years actually, going back at least over uh, quite a bit, uh, a few thousand years, it's read for us in 1 Kings chapter 21. Uh, We see it in 1 Kings chapter 18, um, chapter 19, chapter 21 of 1 Kings. We read about a woman by the name of Jezebel. 
Jezebel. She was the daughter of Ethbaal, who was a king of the Sidonian. Sidonian, Sidonia or Sidon is actually up in modern day Lebanon in that area. And so she was the daughter of this king back at this time. She was a Gentile and she was the wife of Ahab. And remember, Ahab was the king of Israel of the northern ten tribes after the the, the kingdom had split. And it says in these different chapters, you can read First Kings um, 16 through 21, actually 18 through 21, and you'll see the descriptors, the description and the character of this woman Jezebel. And we don't have time to read all of that, but let me just give you some highlights of who she was. And you can find them in those passages I just read to you. But she was also a pagan idolater, as was her father. Uh, the Sidonians uh, um, were known for their, um, their worship of Baal, who was a Canaanite god, and also Asherah, a Canaanite goddess. It was very popular at that time. But she was a pagan idolater and was a Baal worshiper. And this worship that they would worship Baal and Asherah included orgies and temple prostitutes. They would actually have temples and they would have prostitutes, male and female. I mean, this was like um, a cross between Animal House and uh, fraternity. (laughs) It was a horrible scene and uh, to the nth degree. And Jezebel was right in the midst of all that, encouraging even members of the church and men and women were getting caught up in this thing. We also find in those passages in 1 Kings that she killed many of the real prophets of God, the prophets that were genuine. When she married Ahab, she killed many of the prophets of God, and she was really the power behind the throne. Ahab was a weak king. And he succumbed to all of her enchantments and all the things that she wanted to do. As a Baal worshiper, Ahab just accepted it. He ran with it. He even built an altar to Baal. He was a weak man, but she was the power. She was the power behind the throne. And let me just read you a short passage just to kind of give you the character of who this woman is. She killed a man named Naboth who was a man who had a field that her husband wanted. Now, this is a petty thing, but it shows you how light and how awful her character was, and Ahab. And Ahab approached this man named Naboth, and he wanted a plot of his land so that he could plant a vegetable garden. And so, it's for us in 1 Kings. I'll just read you a few verses. It says, But Jezebel, his wife, came to Ahab because he was crying in his room. Literally, you can read it. He was crying in his room on his pillow, and his wife Jezebel came to him. This is 1 Kings 21, verse 5. She said to him, Why is your spirit so sullen that you eat no food? And he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth, the Jezreelite, and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else, if it pleases you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. And then Jezebel, his wife, said to him, You now exercise authority over Israel. Arise, eat food, and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. Oh, doesn't King Ahab have the, have the power? I mean, if he wanted to, it wouldn't be right. But no, he's crying on his pillow, but his wife with the pants, who's wearing the pants of the family, she stands up and she says, I will give it to you. I can almost see, you know, I don't know if any of you have seen the, the movie uh, Jesus of Nazareth by Franco Zeffirelli, but uh, Ahab, uh, I'm trying to think of the, the wife of, 
uh, it doesn't really matter, but she had all this makeup on, and she looked just like a, a, a devil with a blue dress. That's really what she was. She was a devil with a blue dress on. And so here we go. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name. She sealed them with his signet ring, and she sent the letters to the elders and the nobles who were dwelling in the city with Naboth. And she wrote in the letters saying, Proclaim a fast and set Naboth with high honor. Make him the guest of honor among the people and seat two men, scoundrels, before him to bear witness against him, saying, You have blasphemed God and the king, and then take him out and stone him that he may die. This is the character of the kind of woman that Jezebel was. And this same kind of woman is now um, really leading this church in Thyatira. Whether she was the pastor's wife, whether she was just another woman in the church, whatever it is, she had a lot of authority and she was able to seduce physically, sexually, uh, her students who were listening to what she was saying. And she was also a woman who went after Elijah the prophet. Remember, after... um, after the prophets of Baal in First Kings chapter nine, or nineteen, I'm sorry, that after um, Elijah killed those 450 prophets of Baal, that uh, that Jezebel, hearing about this, told Elijah, "I'm coming after you next." Not not Ahab, but Jezebel. I'm coming after you, she says. And what does Elijah do? He runs for the hills. He goes to the very south of Israel in a place called Beersheba. And God has to kind of rebuke him um, at that point lovingly. But let's go on here. So it says, and it says in verse 20 that she called herself a prophetess. Notice she called herself a prophetess. Not everyone who says they speak for God speaks for God. And this is why doctrine is so important that we understand what the Bible says. See, this is why it's important that we read the Bible. Because somebody can say that they speak for God, but if it, if it, if it goes in opposition to what the Word of God says, we can dismiss whatever they have to say. If it doesn't add up to what we know to be true in the Word of God, we can dismiss it. So how important is it then that we read this and know this book? This is God's book for us. It's important that we know it. It's imperative. The greatest thing you can be reading today, put away all of your novels. You can read your novels, but read this. Read this. Know this first. So doctrine is important. This is why Paul the Apostle admonished the Bereans, you remember, in, his, in the book of Acts. When Paul visited this town of Berea uh, in one of his missionary journeys he, journeys, he said this about them. He says, These people were fair-minded, more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word of God with all readiness, but they searched the scriptures daily to see whether those things were so. And see, that's what we need to be doing. And had the children of Israel, or had the children uh, here in the, in the church at this time, the, the men and women, had they been really uh, holding fast to those things, uh, maybe they would think twice. But, you know, the flesh is, a, is an interesting thing. Uh, the flesh is something, as we all know, with experience, that we can know the truth, we know something is wrong, but yet we do it anyway. And, and, and that's typically the, the tragedy of being a human being. <laughs> But that's why we need to be born again, because this new nature that Jesus gives us, His Holy Spirit in us, we have this, this, the very power of God in us to resist those things. Before, we just kind of went to them headlong, and we, we didn't even think twice about it. Now we have a fighting chance, and we're more than victorious if we choose to be. If we obey, we can fight it with, with God on our side. We can do that. But notice also in verse 20, she says uh, that, 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 that this Jezebel who called herself a prophetess, she teaches 
and she seduces my servants, God says, to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. Notice whose servants they are. They don't belong to Jezebel. But God says, Jesus says, that she's seducing my servants. There's his ownership. There's his authority. And, and, and they were not hers. They belonged to the Lord. And concerning this phrase where it says, uh, concerning sexual immorality and eating things offered to idols, which she encouraged, it was these things that the church of Pergamos that we read about earlier, they were guilty of these same things. It was the doctrine of Balaam and the doctrine of Nicolaitanism. We read about that last week, and, um, and these things uh, were very true to, in this church as well. And uh, years before this event, because remember this letter was written around 95 or 96 A.D., back up about 30 years at least, uh, remember when Paul and Peter and Barnabas, as they went around Asia Minor and uh, in that area, ministering in their missionary journeys, and, and they were ministering to Gentiles, that there came a point where um, those from Judah, uh, the Jews from Judah, they began to get up, upset about the Gentiles coming to faith. And, and they would come behind Paul and Peter to the Gentiles and say, well, you can't really be right with God unless you're circumcised and unless you keep the law of Moses. And if you remember, at the, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 15, this question came up about whether they should be circumcised or whether they need to keep the law of Moses. And there became such a problem that the, 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 the disciples, the apostles, Peter and, and, and Paul and others, came to the leaders in Jerusalem, which we know, Jesus' half-brother James was really the, the leader in that time in Jerusalem. They actually came to them and spoke to them concerning this. And so they, they prayed and they finally came up with a letter to write, to send to those Gentile believers. And what was the letter? Here it is. It says, To the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, or, uh, uh, Cilicia excuse me, greetings. Since we have heard that some of you went out from us, and ha- us and have troubled you with words, unsettling your soul, saying, You must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good for us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have, therefore, sent Judas and Silas, this is not Judas of Iscariot, by the way, um, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. Now notice what these two, at least these two necessary things are, because we just read them um, in, in this letter. It says, Abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you do well. Farewell. That is the letter that they spoke. And now fast forward 30, at least 30 years and read what we're reading now, that Jesus was speaking. The this, this same thing about uh, sexual immorality and eating things sacrificed to idols, that's the thing that Jesus pronounced judgment upon, upon this woman Jezebel and those who were following her. She was leading them into this cult of Baal worship where they were doing these kinds of things. And it was not good. It was not good at all. And so in verse 21, and it says, Jesus says, And I gave her, I gave Jezebel, time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. I love the fact that God gives us all time to turn away. He doesn't exact punishment upon us. In fact, the Bible says in 2 Peter 3, verse 9, I read this earlier, it says, The Lord is not slack 
concerning his promises. But notice, he's long-suffering, he's patient toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so repentance is critical, not only to our physical, but also our spiritual life. Because repentance, turning away from these things, is going to keep us from disease. It's going to keep us from uh, a lot of problems. And also, it's going to have an effect in where we spend our eternity if those things aren't repented of. We know this to be true. I love what what Paul said to the Romans in Romans 2, verse 4. He says, Do you despise the riches of God's goodness, His forbearance, and His patience? Not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? You know, oftentimes God allows us time to repent, just as He did with Jezebel. He gives us time. He gives us time. Isn't time such a valuable thing? More than ever, I'm realizing, I'm only 50 years old, but I'm realizing how valuable time is. When I was younger, when I was in my teen years, I really didn't value time because I felt like I had the whole, you know, eons ahead of me. But now, you know, I still got quite a bit of time, I hope, uh, certainly into eternity, of course. But physically on this earth, time is so valuable. What are you doing? What am I doing with that time? And that, that ought to lead me to a sobriety to really think about these things, right? Read about these things. So, verse 22. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation. I don't believe necessarily that that this is speaking of the great tribulation period, which is coming upon the earth. We don't know when that's going to occur because the church has to be removed in the rapture before the great tribulation. But notice, this is not speaking of the great tribulation uh, um, categorically. It's speaking about difficulty. And so, she, he was going to cast her and those who committed adultery with her into great tribulation, into a sickbed, unless they repent of their deeds. And again, God, is He doesn't like to punish. It's a, the Bible calls it a strange work. He doesn't like judgment. Uh, it is His strange work. But when a child of God or an unbeliever goes to a certain length, God has the right to intervene at certain times to either... Uh, allow them to be exposed or to warn them all along the way. And I tell you, in my own life, I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in the lives of other people. And that's just the way God works. He's very, very patient. But do not take that patience as a sign that God is condoning your sin. God never condones sin. And don't take His silence, if you will. It's just space for you to think about what you're doing. And sometimes it may last years. Sometimes it may last weeks, months, years, decades. And you know what? I never want to play games with God's grace, although I have. (laughs) I don't want to do that because God's grace is so wonderful. And the more we understand God's grace, the less likely we're going to want to really take advantage of it and take it for granted because we don't know when God will drop the hammer and when He will expose us. He does it even with believers, men in the pulpit who, have, who are really born again, but they have, a, they have a, a weakness. Maybe it's drugs, maybe it's sex, whatever it is. They, they've never crucified that part of themselves. They've never given that over completely to God. And the devil with the blue dress on comes in and just swipes him out from underneath his feet. His wife and his, his family is destroyed. His ministry is destroyed. Now he's working at you know, someplace making minimum wage because he didn't take control over it. So this is serious stuff. 
Verse 23, And I will kill her children, meaning these followers of hers. I will kill them with death, the Lord says. And why? And all the churches shall know that I am He who searches the minds and the hearts. Remember that. God is the one who searches the hearts and the minds. Isn't that what it says in Jeremiah chapter 7, 17? Beginning in verse 9, this is what it says. The heart is deceitful above all things. I think we can attest to that, can't we? Each one of us can attest to the fact that our hearts are deceitful above all things. Notice, and desperate. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Revelation. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcasts. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.